Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The wait is finally over, and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports, and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week, or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Phil Tiger. Hello and welcome to the first ever Slacker podcast. Thank you so much for downloading it. Hope all's good in the prospective hoods, wherever it is you may be. My name is Phil Taggart and I guess some sort of introduction is probably a good idea right about now. If I don't introduce myself, it's basically like me walking up to you in the street and just shouting what I do in your face, which isn't a good idea, is it? I'm a Northern Irish music broadcaster. I've got a couple of shows on in the evenings on BBC Radio 1. There's one called The Chiller Show on Sunday night, if you want to have a listen to that. Look at that for cross-promo. I've also been playing in bands for ages. I've been playing in them since I was a kid. I've stopped now. I was a pretty mediocre bass player. More of a show-off than a player, truth be told. But mainly, I've got a fairly healthy fascination with musicians, artists, and kind of the origin story figuring out where it all began for them whether that's sonically whether that's like as a band all the warts and all bits is the things that i like and we're gonna get into the early demos as well that is what the slacker podcast is all about and that is the reason it was born Uh, i really wanted to sit down with the great and the good of the music industry and get them to play through and talk 
through some of their first ever demos. Actually, for the first show, we have got Manic Street Preacher's first ever demo of Motorcycle Emptiness, which is very, very, very special. But we will get to that in a minute. I started recording these interviews back in January, and I'm finally, finally, finally getting myself into gear to get these podcasts out. I'm just back from honeymoon. I barely even know what anything is. I weigh about 17 stone more than I already did, but thank God it's coming out. The first guest on the Slacker podcast is the Manic Street Preachers and they're a band I got into when I was a little kid. I remember seeing the video for If You Tolerate This, Your Children Will Be Next. It came on the TV. It scarred me for life, but here I am after watching all of those humans with no eyes or mouths. It was fucking weird. Also, their track Masses Against the Classes, Motown Junk. It's exactly what angsty teenage boys need in their lives like i had my uh converse shoe a tip x pen and so many manix lyrics that i could paint on top of it i mean i might get back into it now but it looks a bit older when you're my age now this is the virginal podcast and in this one we talk about the controversy the chaotic live shows the music and the anti-establishment nature of the manic street preachers me in particular was up for confrontation at any point yeah yeah, yeah. That, you know we've done a couple of we've done a gig in blackwood little theater Early on, and now it turned into a riot. This is back home. Mm. A proper riot as well. It was a proper like, riot. Like, yeah. like the cops were called and... Yeah, yeah everything. Yeah. I know, but like you've got half the nation hating you and the other half going, oh, this is amazing. This is incredible to watch. Yeah, It was the peak <clears> of <throat> our nihilism. It is actually a state of mind record. You can't fake it. So when we played it, it wasn't the most enjoyable tour we've ever done. Before we get going, this is a brand new podcast, so if you have the time to share it, like it, subscribe to this podcast, maybe leave it a little comment underneath it, maybe rate it as well. Five stars, eh? It's basically like you're able to do a full-on work evaluation of me. You are my boss, and I need evaluating, so please do it. Right, let's go. Slacker Podcast, episode one, with the Manic Street Preachers. Nicky James, how's it going? You alright? Not too bad, sir. Thank you. Yeah, alright. Good what, to be here. Deepest Soho. What's going on? Are you down, down, from, down from Wales for a bit? Yeah, yeah. we drove up uh, yesterday and just, you know, the promo run, came back. Our brains are kind of shifting into a, a different kind of work mode very slowly. Yeah, are you, are you car pullers? Who, who drives? Who's in the front seat? Uh, it's just a metaphor, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's, right. it's not. It's not that dodgy. It's not like yeah, it's not, it's James. Not. We're in the company of young people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you car pullers? Do you yeah. guys pull much? Can you? <laughs> well, I can't drive. I've never. I've never ever uh, passed passed my driving test two years ago. Two uh, years ago. Oh yeah. That that's. Obviously, like, it's not like a deep irony if you're spending a life on the road and not being able to drive. Well, I know. I've been driven all my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who used to do the driving back in the day? Richie. Uh, Richie was the original yeah. driver. Yeah. Was that, like, part of the reason why you got, got him in on the group? He was like, he's got a car. Uh, it was part of the package. <laughs> part of the package. It was a brilliant overall pack- yeah. package, but it yeah. did help. Often- he hired the van, and um, my dad gives a chair, which we quite illegally tied to the back yes. in the van. So you had the van. Yeah. And the gear plus a chair, which was tied, which I used to like. <laughs> the back door didn't close. But. I've got, I've got this like vision in my head of like the Beverly Hillbillies. Remember they used to tie the chair to the Thank top, yeah. top of the car. <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't be far wrong. Um, so like, I, I like to start um, every podcast with uh, playing like a, an early demo. Yeah. Um, and we've got like two kind of options uh, for you guys: a motorcycle emptiness in brackets, the South Wales demo. Yeah. yeah. Or behave yourself, baby, the home demo. I'll let you uh, pick pick which one. Well, they. 
they I think only choose one. one. Choose one. They do go together because they became the final version of motorcycle emptiness. Because yeah. we we James nicked half of Baby Self Baby and put it into motorcycle. Yeah. But the original motorcycle, which you're going to play, which was an ode to Rumblefish and the Jesus and Mary Chain. Yes. And um, it kind of glides, and you can just hear what it would become. Okay. Yeah, you hear the gestation going on. There's no guitar riff in it. No. <laughs> you look so disappointed. Uh, never mind. <laughs> right, let's slap it on. Oh, oh, good distortion. <laughs> Has this been heard anywhere before? Like it. Yes. Yeah, it was some yeah. dodgy bootleg album it was on, I think. Yeah? Uh, yeah, it was just called Lipstick Traces, actually, wasn't it? It was not our Lipstick Traces, but a bootleg. And, um, yeah, I still remember doing it. I still remember <laughs> where we did it. We did it in Kumvelinvach. Yeah. I think. Was it? Yeah. I th- uh, there's, there's a simple, like, I can still remember the first demo I ever did. We won a battle of the bands and got into a studio yeah. in Coleraine. And we stared at the back of uh, some guy's head for eight hours yeah. and came out with something we were deeply unhappy with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nearly a story. <laughs> we were quite we were quite controlling at an early stage. I posted about like doing this today, and like, you guys have got like seriously like incredibly mental fans. mental fans. Yeah, it's brilliant. They're just obsessive. I think yeah. they're as obsessive as we were growing up about other bands. Really, keep we've us, transferred it. Kind of keep us of the flame, kind of vibe. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes they say valuable things, which makes you realise where well, you made mistakes. <laughs> and sometimes they go a bit too far. Yeah, that's, and that, that's that's cool. I don't that's mind what that. Fans, that's what fans are meant to do. Exactly. Sean, Sean on BVs. Yeah. I don't think I played bass today. You did. Did I? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it was good for me <laughs> at that point. That's your style. It does. It is your style. <laughs> oh, no, how it generous. Is. How generous. No, that's your style. <laughs> Very hooky at that point. Can't spin, re-spin that. Yeah. JD, are you JD today? JD Bradfield. Rebranded. <laughs> oh, I still love that role. Moro. It's my 12-string acoustic. <laughs> Who's playing the tambourine? Moro. Sean. Sean. Uh, Sean Bagamogles. And that was Motorcycle Emptiness. <laughs> yeah, really, really early version. Yes. What, what, what memories that come to your head when you. Um, uh, well, when you we, heard reco- that? we recorded it in the basement of Kumvelibach Miners Institute. Yep. Um, with Glenn and Tony. 
uh, of the, the the producers and owners of SBS Records at that point, and uh, they were really cool with us. Um, what did the old miners think of you guys rocking up? And well, at that, that point, at that point, it was it was the, the mines are closed. Oh you yeah, know? of course. The, the mines were on there, Nine Mile Point, and it's the and all those uh, pits were closed. So it was kind of a shell of a place, really, and people were just renting out rooms. But that institute was amazing because it had a swimming pool in the bottom. It's huge. Uh, but that's where the studio was. It was in the swimming The Miners Institute had a swimming pool. They were amazing yeah. Makes places. it sound very Beverly Hills, doesn't it? Uh, no, it wasn't Beverly Hills. <laughs> it was just a great place. I mean, it, just, yeah. it was the equivalent of Miners giving uh, a pound out of their... A quick back, not a pound back then, but they gave like a pound of their wages for like two years or something like that towards those institutes. They had libraries, concert halls, swimming pools, um, just really beautiful places. Yeah, I've got to, got to big them up. I wouldn't have been able to play this otherwise. No, no. Well, <laughs> kind of at that point, uh, it was just really cool. I think we had an, we had a massive ambition for that song. As Nick said, it was kind of obsessed with the uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Rumblefish. Yes, that film, which we just all connected to in such a strange, visceral kind mm. of way. Um, and that kicked the lyric off, didn't it? It did. And um, we, Richie had this obsession with writing, as the Jesus and Mary would call it, a biker's song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he really wanted leather and motorcycles and rumblefish. And um, even listening to that, I remember we did have really high hopes for it even then. And then it kind of we got lost for a year or two. Yeah. Then we went back in the studio with Steve Brown. And James merged it with the other track, and all of a sudden it was starting to come formulated yeah. as the longest guitar solo in history, as I call it. He was a, like Steve Brown's great guy, you know. He was really um, traditional, kind of like coming out of the eighties, kind of producer. He produced Wham, and he produced Lemmy, and the Cult, ABC, and the Cult. Yeah, and, like he was just sat listening to these demos, and he was just like, you know, yeah, it sounds shit. <laughs> but, like, there's something there and you've got to write a guitar riff for it in these bits and, and even if we would have meetings and he said you've got to write a guitar riff for that and it was just really good having somebody that focused and, and seeing through you know, uh, you know the beautiful exuberance and amateurism of the demos and just saying no it's going to be brilliant you just got to do these things to it there's definitely like a really rough element to it oh yeah what, yeah. what, 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 what year was it re- recorded? No, I'd say it's 1986, seven. Yeah. Wow, right. The 80s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I never realized we're an 80s band. We have every decade. Yeah. We have different <laughs> in every decade. Yeah. How, do, how, do, how does that feel? Which decade feels the most comfortable? Well, that was, so what's that, 30 years ago? Oh, my God. It's the year I was born. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, gee. I can't believe it, man. We're so old. <laughs> no, fuck all that. We don't care about it. Um, but kind of, I think 90s, mm. mid-90s was very comfortable, wasn't mm. it? We kind of understood the mid-90s, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the noughties. We understood the noughties as well. Yeah. Uh, now which, which was, which, which was the shittest? Which was the shittest to, like, don't ask that be, be in a band? <laughs> Surely it was the 80s, right? Oh, no. 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 no, you thought it was shit at the time, but now you realise, you know, it was, a, it was a time when you realised you could identify what you had affinities with, you mm. could identify who was your enemy or what was your enemy, politically, yeah. culturally, you know, kind of sport-wise, everything. Um, and you just had, you had the Smiths, you had Echo and the Bunnymen. You yeah, you had like all great, great indie groups. Yeah, I mean, all, when those, you watch, all those indie groups that became massive but really started on indie labels and, and had time to develop and grow. And then at the end of it, you had Guns N' Roses, which, you know, blew us away. And we became absolutely obsessed with them. McCarthy, who were one of our favorite indie bands ever, The Cure. So you could belong to a tribe. You could be a goth, you know, if you wanted to. It was like a definite kind of thing. Or you could still 
be a slightly new wave and a punk throwback. So that, you could be elitist. Yeah, being that, a snob. yeah, that that's something that like I I always pain with like uh, like in my teenage years and like early twenties. I can't identify with anything. I grew up like listening to to your music and listening to like like just loads of different stuff and like being able to like say you oh you're a punk or you're like a, a goth or you're like new wave or whatever when i was like a teenager all we had was new new rave which was like <laughs> yeah. the, the shittest of What's all the shit i don't know there was something oh no it was just like top man t-shirts <laughs> and like <clears throat> bands with like really so crap angular doing? riffs oh jesus what were I think, we doing back i mean then? i see it with my own kids that they, it is there is a gap there. Of, mm. There's a sense of belonging that there's just nothing there for them. You know, it's not. There's no good music or anything like that. There's always good music, but there is not a particular thing where just for a year or two you can say that's where I am. I think my my theory is that the record shop. You only had a certain amount of money yeah. uh, a week to be able to go and buy a record, and you didn't have enough money to be able to be a little bit like like online. You can get anything, and you yeah, can that. get into anything. When you bought an indie record, you'd want to go buy another indie record because you wouldn't want to try a jazz record because you didn't have enough money. Yeah, you I mean? have this sporadic nature now where everything is overlapped and you know, and everything is that click of a finger. I mean, I've noticed my daughter certainly. I've noticed loads of records disappearing from my record collection going into hers. There's yeah, like yeah. big gaps in my CD. The whole of Sonic Youth had just disappeared <laughs> and gravitated <laughs> to her bedroom. Jesus, that's a big discography as well. Yeah. <laughs> and the Smiths has gone. Yeah. So you know, I think that's kind of reassuring. But I don't think there's anyone that fills that space now for them, you know, it's because everything is overlapped. Every genre, everyone mixes everything, which is probably good for music, but not good for that strata of belonging when you're young and also you identified with people that that were very opinionated um in the 80s you know ian mccallick morrissey marky smith i want drama in my life but i want drama in music that, that's where i want to see it i, I want to see bands fighting with each other i want to see them like going that this band is the shittest band about <laughs> or saying that this, i i quite enjoy it well you know it's <clears> still <throat> i guess it's why one of the reasons liam is just still out there on his own as a as a True kind of oh man, like his Liam Gallagher. Kids love him. Yeah, he's he's incredible. Like you he's, know, he's fearless, and it's not easy to be like that. You know, as you get older, to still keep that level of venom, <laughs> rage, exactly, <laughs> and just not worrying about any consequences of anything you say. It's I mean, just, that's he, brilliant. It's, it's a talent. He just doesn't give a fuck. Like he not, not even yeah. not even slightly. I want to talk about Guns and Roses because like they they were a big influence for, for you guys starting out. But I. I like Appetite for Destruction when I was a teenager was my that was my anthem like that was my yeah. album I, I, I wow. love that I mean Appetite for Destruction is just it's this this kind of this misconception you know in the record industry or amongst music journalist circles that it's easy to make music like that no it's not and it's not <laughs> it's really really, really, really not <laughs> because it's easy it's, to a degree it's much easier to make experimental music where there's lots of space and you can yeah. slot things in mm. and you can just endlessly just like decide where, you know, you can make esoteric decisions that kind of like that have no bearing on the vocal or the, yeah, yeah. Or the narrative or whatever. With something like um, Appetite Destruction, you're dealing with lead weights, five lead weights, you know, like Izzy's guitar, Slash's guitar, Duff McEagan on bass, Axel just wanted to be at the front mm. all the time, you know, Stephen Adder on drums, you know, everything is there. And to actually mix that together, to weave it all together, to make it graceful sometimes, like it is on Rocket Queen or on something like Sweet Child of Mine, where there's, where there's grace. Um, but also just the chemistry of it. You know, again, I'm going to quote Marky e. Smith when he said, um, 
you know, today, today there's a problem with music. There's too much rock and not enough roll, kind of thing. And that's what the Guns N' Roses did. Yeah. You know, they reintroduced the roll back into rock. What about the the, the way that you guys um, started? I want to like talk about the early shows, like the very, very, very early ones, because like between. When... Are you from Coleraine? No, I'm from. I actually went to Coleraine University. We played, talking about early shows, we yeah. played one of the worst. Sh- Worst but brilliant shows ever in Coleraine University. At, at the university? It know, was phenomenal. Yeah. I got, um, they do one gig a year in the three years that I was there. Yeah. And I was wearing um, a military tunic, right? <laughs> it, like, as I was. Like, I'll, I'll get this in a Coleraine? bit. But I, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. I'm, a, I'm, an, a, I, I'm an Irish Catholic wearing a military yeah, tunic, yeah. right? The, that shit did not go down fucking well at all yeah. in the slightest. I don't know if I but, want to be around you when you were drunk. Yeah, if you make decisions exactly. Like, that. Look, like, if you look closely at my nose, right? It's it's a bit bent out of shape I for yeah for also, for yeah, simply yeah. that reason, um. But I remember getting kicked out of a Christy Muir tribute night <laughs> at at Coleraine University in my first year and was banned for the rest of the my duration at that university. But what what, what was it that was so bad about that game? No, it was bad no, in a brilliant good, it was good brilliant good. kind of way because the boys had bought me a brand new bass. What was Def's make? What, what was that? Were you shovel? shovel. They shovel, bought me yeah. a brand new shovel bass which I'd never ever played. And we played Colorado University to about 22 people, and I just absolutely trashed it <laughs> after about two two yeah. songs. Wee! Cameraman half trashed the, in the studio. Half the studio just came down he's, there. He's joining in. Earthquake! And there were only 12, 18 people there. Oh, yeah. To say the least. I think it was 22. I, I've got my diary in there. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it was an amazing. We went to. Did we go to Giants Causeway on the way? Yeah, we go to Giants Causeway. Did you do press shots there? Like um, no, 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 no. We just went. Stone there. Roses and um, Led Zeppelin. They all I did. Think me and Richie and Eddie got swept off the did. stones and Giant Causeway. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, we where... did this mad tour of Ireland. The tour manager was was driving when he called him and just drinking whiskey all the time to keep him up. Colin Boone. Yeah. <laughs> and it was quite scary. Went, went to the Bushmills. Uh, yeah, we went to the Bushmills Distillery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. nearly sick. You did it. You did it all. Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, no, that's we basically did. most of Northern Irish tourism. Like, done, no, it's done. not. No, it's not. I had Dulce, 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 Dulce. Oh, Dulce seaweed. Yeah, yeah. That's the first time I'm addicted to that stuff when I can get it. Addicted to seaweed. I love it. Yeah, but the way they dry it and turn it into a crisp, is just beautiful. It's gorgeous. And then the girls at the gig, they were saying their biggest thrill was like going into the railroad tunnel. And oh, then yeah. when a train went through it, it sucked all the air out and it was just really exciting. We were like, please don't do it again. They were really mm. cool Mannix fans even at that point. But like the, those years between, because you started in 86, but like your debut album came out in 92. Yeah. Right. So like, what, what, were, the, what were those six years? Because like, like what, what, what happened in those six years? Like what were the growing pains that you had right. as, as, well, as a band? Me and James wrote our first song last year of Comprehensive. It was called Aftermath, which was about the minor strike and the devastation left. Um, we had kind of, we, me and James were in the same class. Uh, Richie and Sean were in a year above us. So we kind of started writing songs together at that point. And, um, you know, a lot of rubbish. You have to, obviously at that point, there's a lot of filtering just to find out where you are. A lot with James had been obsessed with the first Billy Bragg album, so it was, there was a lot of Billy Bragg isms yeah. musically at that point. Um, lots of quite a few lyrics about not having girlfriends. Anti-social. Oh yeah, <clears throat> antisocial, yeah, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But by I think <coughs> two years down the line, we started, you know, under the severe influence of, of the Clash, especially the Pistols and McCarthy. The lyrics did start becoming more political. And then Sean joined. Then Richie started 
driving us and I started writing lyrics with Richie in university and all of a sudden the dots were joining. Yeah. And like, how long was it that you were sort of a band that you got had that moment where you were like, oh shit, we're actually really good. We can we can do this. We can this can be like mm. a legitimate life. Or for, for me, I think the first time I felt like we were a really good band and uh, Nick might disagree with this. But the first time I thought, yeah, we can we can turn people on, so to speak, mm. uh, was when we did this gig at the Horse and Groom at uh, Great Portland Street. Yeah, uh, Bob Stanley had uh, Bob Stanley had arranged it. Bob Stanley of say at the end, mm. and um, so we thought, all right, this is just going to be, you know, it might be awful, but you know, we'll play this gig and probably just go back home and say, you know, they hated us and we hate them as usual. <laughs> exactly. And uh, kind of like um, we turned up and it was kind of full from upstairs. Mm. Yeah, it, was. it was about. Mm. Close to, I'd say, about seven people there. And uh, we played the first song and everybody just really just applauded wildly. <laughs> yeah, is, is that confusing? Because like, It was confusing, but, like, yeah, it, I, but I turned on to that. I thought, no, well, yeah, yeah, I, we're as good as I thought we were. Kind of but like, like I, I come from a, a small town in Ireland, like Oma, right? And I've always had like a, a chip on my shoulder about bigger places. So before I moved to Belfast, I thought everybody in Belfast is a knob. Yeah. Then I moved to Belfast and realized everybody in Belfast is lovely. And then on, I was in Belfast, thought everybody in London's a knob. And then moved to London and found out that that was true. But, <laughs> but like, did, 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 did you? Um, we were. Did up you for have con- that? Me in particular was up for confrontation at any point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. About, you know, we'd done a couple of we'd done a gig in Blackwood Little Theatre early on, and now it turned into a riot. This is back home. Mm. A proper riot as well. It, it was a proper what, like, riot. Like, yeah. like the cops were called and yeah, yeah, everything. The 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 crowds ended up smashing the piano, yeah, oh, smashing shit. seats up and everything. Seats. And it was a lovely theater. Who, we who were guilty. the people at these gigs? Was this teenagers there or was, skinheads or what? There was what? some. There were a lot. I want. I want to affiliate the club to the some of the who, a lot of football was, fans. There were some football boys there. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. just say that. Like like a firm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, one affiliated to a team. But we were kind of. We did enjoy the confrontational element, and that gig James is talking about, probably the first time we've ever felt a bit of love, and we were. I was taken aback. You know, I had all my quotes ready in me to, to you know, throw out and stuff. And it's like, I don't know what to say now. They're actually really clapping us. And, <laughs> you know, me and Richie had really spray painted our shirts and we, we had a brilliant uniform, all white shirts with purple spray paint. We nearly choked ourselves in our, in our room doing it because it was with <laughs> sp- car spray paint. I um, had a black jumper on where I cut the nipple out so you could see my nipple and I wrote I Oh, well, I was, I'm on about horse and groom, though. Horse oh, and groom? Oh, sorry, yeah. gotcha. When we had our... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can remember the nipple show. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. the Blackwood Little Theatre. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. we had our completely uniform on for the horse and groom. Yeah. And we did look... It was yeah, the height of baggy good. music. And we did look like aliens. We looked yeah. tight and clean. So really yeah. tight and clean. And um, to be, to have, they gave us extra money at the end, which we gave them back because we felt guilty. Yeah. They'd made some money on the door. Yeah. And we said, oh, we're not... We yeah. did, we only getting the twenty five quid, don't worry. Mm. And then we drove home in the van. Yeah, that, that was kind of like part of the the reason, not maybe the, maybe the reason you started, but like part of the raison d'être probably of the the group was to smash the sort of baggy vibe around about that time, was it? Pretty oh. much smash everything. Uh, that, I mean, yeah, we were reactive against everything that was around us. We did feel like. Um, that there was so many easy targets. You weren't going and taking pills in Manchester at the Hacienda or no, hanging out no. with Sean Ryder or any of that. We did you... actually like a lot of that band. Yeah, we, we did like the Mondays and we definitely liked the Roses. You yeah. Know, definitely. You can't um, not like the Stone Roses. No. no, but we knew there was something in the lyrics and we knew there was, we knew there was, and we knew there was a, this sound like the with birds. the Roses. No, we knew there was something in the lyrics with the Roses and they'd like, you know, we knew that kind of, you know, 
John Squire was a bit of a Situationist fan and all that kind of stuff. And then with the Mondays, you knew that there was a there, there was a, a. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Working class social documentation going on. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly you knew that he was making up his own language. Mm. He was the first person that did it since Marky Smith, really. You know, so... We knew there was something there, and, and, we, and they'd been produced by John Cale. You know, we knew there was something going on, but the rest of it, we were pretty disdainful. But we also knew that we couldn't be that. You know, we had gone through different phases as a band. We'd sort of had a period of being very kind of C86. We'd gone through a period where we'd been trying to be more Joy Division, but the kind of format that suited us was rock music. Uh, you know, rock and, and, that, and that revol- yeah. revolution rock. It was. We, yeah, they were. Yeah. You can call it a bit cliche, but we were. You know, the Clash at that point were our greatest influence. You know yeah. that we were. But we're not. We'd, we'd seen them do Garage Land on the TV, and we just thought that is. Yeah, if I mean, we could be that. You we're know. not going to go down that route, but you know, having the minor strike as a backdrop. You know, it all ended by then, obviously, and we were left with a, you know, detrit- detritus. And what does it tie as Welsh musicians together? Like you can tell a Mank musician from the lyrics. I think um, it's pretty much an obsession with melody. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think. And so. voice. I think there's very few Welsh. Most Welsh bands are really, really great singers. Whether it's James or Keris, Kelly, Griff, Charlotte Church. Yeah, Badfinger. You know, there there is something in our DNA that. Um, just produces really brilliant scene. Phil Tiger. This is the first ever Slacker podcast. This is the halftime suck an orange, sit down, chat to the manager a little bit. We're going to go out for the second half and give it 110%. But uh, we're going to play the full version of the motorcycle emptiness demo from 1986 at the very end of the podcast where we're not all talking over it so you can hear it in all of its glory. In the coming weeks, we have got podcasts from Wolf Alice, Gary Lightbody from Snow Patrol, The Vaccines, Leon Bridges, Novelist, and a load more. We're going to do 16 in this series, so I'll tell you all about it in the coming weeks. Still to come on this podcast, though, from the Mannix, we have got how the music industry has changed since the 80s, cassette tapes, and bands versus brands. Now back to the garments and the chaos. 
I want to talk about the, the, the sort of the, the motifs and the, and the, the, the fashion sense of, of you guys from the very beginning because it's always been like prevalent from from day dot. Like you know, it feels like it, not as a, not as important as the music, but definitely something that's like thought of quite a lot. Yeah. Um, as I was saying earlier, like I, I used to dress in a military tunic and probably cross dressed more than I, I probably should have in my my, my teenagers. You know, you know that cross dress as much as you should. Yeah, have. yeah, fair, fair play. But you know that sort of old saying is like, um, what is it? More than two shakes is playing with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you inspired me to like go out in my hometown and dress in military stuff and like have weird haircuts and stuff and. Well, it was weird. It was kind of like um, I do remember some, you know, having you know, things in my head where you know we'd be walking up Blackwood High Street in around about nineteen eighty six, eighty seven, and, and Nick and Richie, be, you know, dressed the full nines in terms of just wearing a bit of mascara, hair done up, and Richie had his purple denim jacket on and skin tight white jeans and Cuban heels, and you know, kind of like you know, Nick, you know, would have your beautiful little scarf on. You know, Nick and Richie were looking really effeminate, and you're walking up Blackwood High Street and. Blackwood Ice Street on a Friday, Saturday night was just full of you know Blackwood rugby players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're not, get, you're not getting away with that. that. No, but they did. They really, never, they were never challenged. You know, I remember thinking, this takes guts to to walk up this high street on a Friday and Saturday like that. Me and my yeah, friends just used is. to have the, have like a stock phrase just in our head because it was always abuse from passing cars that we would get. It would be like, you know, cut your hair or whatever. And we were just thinking we were really smart. We'd be like 16. We'd be like, cut, cut your hair. And we'd be like, read a book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did, we kind of, we did glory in the isolation of it, if you know what I mean. We did glory in the, yeah. it was us for against the world. It did really feel that we were so tight. And um, the pathway seemed quite easy then. It lit, you know, for us, it was like, right, make, well, it wasn't even make a great record. It was get on the cover of the enemy. Yeah. Get on Radio 1, get on Top of the Pops, job done. And bizarrely, we did it within the first 12 months. You know, from Motown Junk to You Love Us, getting on Top of the Pops. It wasn't, you that's, know. That's a fast move, like. But obviously, I didn't take into account writing the songs. But, <laughs> you know, for the, the image side of it and all those plans were, especially to me and Richie, they were just as important as the music. And obviously, that's because we knew Jim and Sean were going to come up with the goods. I struggled with the look sometimes because I remember trying a bit of mascara. <laughs> I looked like one of my uncles that had spent all their lives on the pits, but and they, had that, they, had that, they had that constant coal dust in there. They couldn't get rid of the coldest in their eyelashes. I yeah. just looked like that. It was just. I like, think you were more Phil work. Daniels at the end of Quadrophenia. Just a hint of it when it's running. That's how I like to think of you oh, back geez. then. <laughs> more Phil Daniels, kind of like meantime. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there was a, a, a gig about two years ago. I've got a friend who's like a, he makes like kind of ambient burial style beats and he goes under the name Unknown and he'd forgot his mask at home. <laughs> and um, he was about to, about to sort of step up onto stage and he was like, I've, I've got to put something over my face. Like, I've come called unknown. I can't just walk out there and stand behind the decks and do this. And he pulls out he pulls out a balaclava and it's a Northern Irish <laughs> oh, showcase. In, <laughs> and I'm just like, are you fucking mental? Are you fucking mental? You're Northern Irish. Well, you Irish. can talk with your tunic, but that was yeah. a step too far. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you're Northern Irish. Yeah. There's a load of English press over here and you're about to play ambient beats for the balaclava on. I'm sure you've never done something like that. Like, <laughs> you ended yeah. up on top of the pops with a balaclava on with your name written on top of it. And yeah. I just love, just I, I just, just love case. the fact, like, you know, if I was in a, if I was in this band, I think one of the proudest things I would have is the most BBC complaints ever. I was uneasy about it. I was. Yeah. I was uneasy about it. I know, but like, you've got half the name 
Nation awesome. hating you and the other half going, oh, this is amazing. This is incredible to watch. Yeah. It was the peak <clears> of <throat> our nihilism. You know, it's obviously the Holy Bible, mm. full military regalia at the time. You know, the apocalypse look, which we'd kind of stolen from the bunny men as a little bit from their period of using it. But we'd taken it to a different level. And um, at that point, we just we were so committed to the cause. You know, we really were everywhere we went. You wanted to tear everything down around about that stage. So yeah. yourselves and everybody else. It, it, exactly. There was nothing constructive at that point. It wasn't like we it was just everything. It was humanity. You I know. just kind of enjoyed when everything clicked, when you're on stage and everything just clicked and the crowd were just, just really on the point of violence, but just having a good time. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just, I always, I was kind of living for that moment. That's what Do you feel like you have to get into character for a record or know, can you just be yourself and play the songs? I think he does. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I think when we redid the anniversary of Holy Bible, it is actually a state of mind record. You can't fake it. So when we played it, it wasn't the most enjoyable tour we've ever done. But it was like, it was so challenging because you can't just go in there and play Archives of Pain as if, you know, come on. Yeah. You just can't. You have to really treat it with a kind of a level of seriousness and nastiness. Were you glad to get off that tour then? I was. Yeah. I was a tiny bit. I mean, the I think the last, on the tour itself, the last three shows were around us, were they? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I we think had the, so. the Cardiff Castle gig, but... Um, I remember waking up for the Roundhouse gig and I just woke up, just kind of borderline flu, but heavy cold. Yeah. My voice was gone. And I was just, uh, you know, I don't know how I could do nearly, this. I could nearly, um, have, so it's more of a challenge physically than anything as well. Have you ever, have you ever had to cancel gigs before and pull gigs because yeah, of, three times, of, of, not that much over the years, but it's three times know. in, like three times in the journey that you've gone on. It's not, not bad. I think no. Nick's favorite one is the one I cancelled in America. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, he did have, he, he he assures me he had a cold as well, but he was pictured by the enemy with a whiskey and a fag, oh, yeah, yeah. like this. <laughs> uh, sorry, by the Maldi maker. And then the cover of the Maldi maker was Manic's cancelled gig <laughs> through influence. <laughs> yeah, like Cancelling a gig is one of the horriblest experiences. You know, if you are close to a show, yeah. a day or two, and you have to do it, it really is so painful. Yeah, Jim's yeah. like... We had to take the decision away from him because you can tell when he can't do it and it's so painful for him to do it. You know, to cancel, it's just a thought. Sure, like, oh. even, like, when bands go on tour, you're living in a very close-knit community if one person gets sick. And the fact is, like, your immune system must be all over the place. Like, especially yeah. when you're, like, younger and you're, like, drinking and, and, and whatever, right? Yeah. When your body just goes or your mind just goes and it must be just difficult to, to get up and do that. I don't uh, think, peop- think people... Well, I stopped drinking on tour in 2003 because I realized I'd lose my voice if I drank whiskey yeah. for a show every night. So that's gone. Um, yeah, if somebody's on the bus that's got a cold, I tend to kind of like... Quarantine. Kind of, <laughs> like actually, See, this is... I kind of like stay away and I just like hide myself in some kind of like stratosphere. Um, so like, how, how have you have you noticed like the, the music industry changing over, over time? How long like, you got? Like, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm really interested in it because like I started my band when I was like 14, 15 and um, I've been you know, chained to it um, ever since. And I can't get off. I'm like a fettered goat uh, to, 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 to the music know the industry. Uh, um, well, everything, absolutely everything has changed, obviously. The formats have changed beyond recognition. But the formats were always changing. Eight they track, were always changing, vinyl, yes. But, but it was still CD. tangible, obviously. Uh, 
Uh, that's changed. Uh, I think the obsession with platforms, you know, it, it got to a point where it seemed like the platform you listened to the music on was more important than the music. Oh, what are you listening to? You know, someone's got this new way of listening to exactly the same song in exactly the same way. Yeah. And it's just, just because, oh, God, really I mean, demoralizing. But, I mean, we started, we released cassette singles when we started. Yeah. You know, coming back. which is coming back. I, I did that old thing of like recording radio on onto like cassettes and stuff. Yeah. And the first ever single I bought was Park Life, I think, by Blur on on cassette when I was a kid. Yeah. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. But I, even at that at that stage, like when I got CDs or whatever, I had proper liner notes and I had all that. Yeah, no. Cassettes to me were just a a thing. I love CD is my favorite format. I, I much prefer it to vinyl. Really? Yeah. Why? Why? Why so? It's just easier. And it's I lo- I actually like the slightly cosmetic sound. I don't need to hear a thousand the analog waves on a on a on mm. a vinyl. I've got a lot of vinyl, but I I love I love CD, cassette. I've found all my old mixtapes, um, and ones that Richie did for me and James did for me when I was in university, and they'd send me. So that's been really I put it on, and I find everyone gravitating to my room and listening actually in my yeah. house because they like. You know, everything is sequenced really well and there's loads of great old stuff on there that James used to do all these soul things for me. Richie is all C eighty six. So I've kind of rediscovered all that. There's a certain own. romanticism around playlists and mixtapes yes. that, that I that I really love. Like a, I think one of the best presents I ever got my missus still to this day was just a a mixtape that I made her and that was it. It's very touching. Yeah, but like I think you can say a lot to somebody that you can't say in a mixtape. Yeah, James did one brilliant one with Colorbox on and Blue Aeroplanes, which I've still got, which I've, I've refound all these, you know. They kind of feel like precious things. Yeah, like my first girlfriend gave me a mixtape that had the undertones and about five tracks of it on it because her dad was into it. And then I was just like, my perfect cousin. <laughs> yeah. My edges. Wednesday week, I love Wednesday week is Wednesday amazing. week, she loves yeah, me. She Wednesday week me. never happened at all. Dun, da, 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 dun, dun. And that petrol emotion, of course, which came on from the undertones, they were a massive influence influence yeah. on us growing up. Yeah, they're really good. It's a good thing. V two. I think the other thing is that that's that really changed in the record industry is, well, not just the way music accepted is. I suppose there was there was a quite healthy harsh judgment from the music press when yeah, we were young. I think um, uh, younger. Uh, I think we got slagged off for doing a festival two years in a row. What, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big time by the enemy. Um, and like, and for yeah. doing too many festivals in one yeah, year. Yeah, but we only festivals. did three. Yeah, we you, can't, you, can't, you couldn't really get away with anything no. uh, at that and point. obviously, you know, you had the old Bill Hicks judgment that if you, you know, use, let your music or your work advertise a product, then you're off the creative roll call. Um, and we kind of live by that, but no, you know, obviously, uh, you know, a young band's gonna gonna need and want to sync. Think, yeah, and they need everybody it. needs syncs these days. Like, uh, so uh, that's that's a gigantic uh, change. I've been gigantic. That, like, there's there's fucking no money about no. anywhere. Like in terms of yeah. stream, especially with like guitar bands and um, and rock bands, because like on the digital platforms they don't do well no, completely. And, and they don't get the the love well when but, we look at our numbers sometimes which i you know i'm a bit i'm kind of obsessed with that and you think oh what sort of this video has been viewed eight million times now then you get a check for 26 quid or something you know <laughs> and you just well, that, that doesn't seem quite fair I, you kind of write it off as which you can't as a young man we're lucky enough 
maybe to be a bit blasé about it because you just don't. I just don't know what it all means. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, like, like if a, if a band gets a sync now, that's the difference between it them is, being yeah. able to go record another EP. Oh, yeah, we, we don't yeah. judge a band for taking a sync no. unless it's something which is you know truly offensive or product. Yeah. You know? yeah, because we know the reasons why bands do it. You know, so that's a I massive mean, when, change. But when I get the press now, if I get into a new band and you know, and I kind of buy their first or second album, I keep thinking, I think like I did when I was eighteen or sixteen. Can't wait to see what they do in the next record. Then I think, will they get? Will they get? Next record, you know. yeah, but it's so like that depresses me. But when you see like Dylan doing like a Victoria's Secret ad or like Iggy Pop doing a butter ad or something, I'm like, you don't need the money, like, you don't really need the money that much. Like, maybe you're doing it for a swimming I think pool a- or something actors like doing watch adverts always winds me mm. up or stuff like that. Bam, they got a voiceover career. For, yeah. for for a bank, you know, <laughs> after just perpetually c- condemning people all their lives, it, as soon as I'm they get a sniff, for they're in there. Available for voiceover right now. Um, have you have you guys done any adverts? One advert yes. for the Paralympics, which say we use a, an instrumental of Design for Life for Sainsbury's, but we give the money back. Yeah, we give it back to the. I think it was Paralympics just right as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then somebody from that organisation said. Uh, they'll probably get good publicity from this. So we're like, oh, okay, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. No, we did do an... Uh, Welsh yeah, Tourist Board. We did do a Vodafone one. With, there was um design, I think it was one of the Stealth Sonic. No, we didn't. I'm sure we did. We didn't. Sure we did. We've we never did. done a Vodafone. Design for Life was used. Okay. I can't remember who it was that used it, but it was a political party that used it really out of context. Yeah, I mean, it just happened. You've not got no control of the have you? But but surely you can, like, when they use your track... You just say cease and desist once they've done it, and then they stop. You know? yeah. So it's, I think it's, weird. it's always really funny when um, politicians use music out of context. Wasn't it? Um, I think Born in the USA was used yeah, it was. Um, in a presidential campaign thinking that America's great. Let's yeah. play Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA. And you're like, yeah. right, you I, don't really know what that song's about, do you? No, Bruce wrestled with that constantly, I think. He'd constantly say, oh, people, we get a bit where you stole the sun from my heart, which has become quite a wedding song. And it's actually saying... You sucked the life out of me, you know. You you stole the sun. You took the light away. It was it was his lyric to the band saying, "Stop making me fucking travel around yeah. the world." It was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's you know, use it weddings and some funerals, which I guess is more appropriate. Yeah, but like, do you feel as strongly about like politics in your music now as you as you used to, or or is where is a fever still the same? I actually think I'm just so uncertain and so confused generally about. the the total cross-pollination of political ideas and, you know, the lack of sort of a, a stance you can take. I think the, the tenets we grew up with of... of it was us and them. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Cold War sort of preoccupation with the Cold War. It was just everything was much easier. And I do find it really difficult to disseminate. And it, then it, that does make you, as you get older, you just become just confused to the point of apathy which i don't like about myself yeah. at all i think uh, well I, I think you know I, I think i remember saying a couple of times you know uh mid-period manics that everybody should vote and like you know you know people die for the right for you to vote and all yeah that. but sometimes things do get so bad where you actually feel as if no one deserves your vote <laughs> <laughs> thing, you know? yeah there, there is there is there is a place for that sometimes i, think, I, you know? I, I, I don't like being like that either i've got two final things that i want to do before we, we we finish up um there's uh, i want you to sort of impart some wisdom and knowledge on some of the younger acts that are start, starting out. <laughs> i don't know anything no no I, I kind the, of, the, i've been asked to kind of to go to like uh like you know, the card 
Cardiff version of like you know Music Institute. Was was it called? Sorry, like like you know, like your BIM. Yeah, like yeah, like you know. I've been asked to go there and talk to some younger musicians and stuff and all that. And the only reason I say no, well, two reasons I say no is, yeah, I know that I can be a complete fuckwit. Um, <laughs> and like you know, and the other reason is that kind of any advice I could give them is totally irrelevant. The way we got record deal, what we had to deal with, the journalists, the judgment from the music press, all that's gone. It's all completely different. So, what advice can I give a younger act now? There's not much. It, it's just the sort of trust your own instinct, really, and just go go at it as it goes. Right, I'm right. trying to put words in yeah, your mouth. If you want me to go up there and just try out some platitudes and just go, you know, there's good music and there's bad music. You know, I can do that, but it's no point. Uh, and I'm just not, it's not being lazy. It's not yeah. being apathetic. It's literally, it's no, you live in a different world. Yeah. You, know, you understand it more than I do. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to say, oh, you know, read books and infuse art into your lyrics, but, you know, really concentrate on your words. But who wants that? You know, I may want it, but no one at the public doesn't want it. It doesn't mean it doesn't it doesn't add up to us saying we think all oh, music is shit. You know, we've just done some lists. You know, we've just done some you know some playlists for people because we're on the promo trail and you know there's stuff like you know Julia Holter on there. You know, Anna Meredith. You know, uh, White Hills. All new stuff that I've bought in the last two years or so. Unlike this stuff I bought this year, there's still records I buy and like and enjoy. But you know, we are just living completely different times, and it's unrecognizable. I think mm. I'd looked maybe Wolf Alice at that scene. Oh, I love those guys. Yeah, they seem like such a tight band. They seem to have a foot in both worlds in the sense that you can identify them in an old school band way, you know, like Gang Against the yeah, World thing. big time. And, of, and they've got a kind of modern perspective as well. You know? they, they, I love the lyrics. I love the way they look. And live, they really front up. They are not there just to entertain. You yeah, know, they, they really are. Yeah, they, are. They, they have a lot to answer for. It was this time last year, I think maybe a week ago, I went to Weatherspoons with them and got got got, got really drunk. That's good to know. I got really drunk. That's good to know. Got really drunk in Weatherspoons, eating or uh, drinking like three pounds beers. They didn't demand to go to like you know a kind of an artisan brewery. And no, no, no. They're, they're, a pint of inebriated hog water. Theirs like is that. the Rochester and in, in Stoke and Newington. Yeah. I live right beside it. And um, well, they drink just straight Carling or something. Yeah, <laughs> basically can, cans of Red Stripe. And um, we went to a bowling alley straight afterwards. And um, on the taxi on the way back to my house I asked my missus to marry me um, and, I, put, oh, wow. I, and I, I blame I blame Wolf Alice for that <laughs> in the best possible red, way red, red Stripe and Wolf Alice exactly I suppose they are proof they can be done one of the best support bands we've ever had he, he, he spotted them you know, straight away and the, our fans can be very judgmental and they were really they really kind of think, fronted up well guys thank you so much for um, giving me your time for the the last hour in pleasure because I've always wanted to sort of like sit down and have a conversation with you guys that was really cool thank you thank you we will find out next week exactly how Wolf Alice can front it up because they will be the guests on the Slacker podcast and I'm very very excited about that we're going to be sitting down with Ellie and Theo from the band to have a chat but I have to say massive thank yous to Nikki and James from the Manic Street Preachers. It was an absolute dream come true for the first podcast of the, of this series, of the Slacker podcast, to sit down with two legitimate idols of mine. It's a while away, just over an hour, was absolutely amazing. That's what the Slacker podcast is all about, playing those early demos from incredible artists, and we will be doing that uh, over the next 15, 16 weeks. And you can subscribe to the podcast, that would be amazing. You can rate the podcast as well, which would be even more amazing. And you can comment underneath it. Also, which would be really cool, is if you could reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, at Philly Taggart, 1L in Philly, 
to be honest, it's Filey Taggart, but I just can't correct myself at this stage. Uh, it'd be good to hear who you would like on future podcasts. We're going to end now with the Manic Street Preachers Motorcycle Emptiness Demo from 1986 in full. I'll see you again next week for our podcast with Wolf Alice. is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! 
where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply.